You are listening to Dr. George Murray, guest speaker at Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Reasoning from the Greater to the Lesser, recorded on April 8, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Dr. Murray as he preaches. Well, it's great to be back at Harvest Community Church, and I want to uh, especially welcome all those of you who are at the Petroleum Valley, Indiana, and Freeport campuses, as well as everybody that's here tonight. I wish I could have been here last weekend for your Easter services. I've had the privilege of traveling and preaching quite a bit in the country of Russia and in the country of Ukraine. And the Christians in those two countries especially like to celebrate Easter. In God's word, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, we read these words. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Do you believe that? And in Russia and in the Ukraine, the believers at Easter time listen to their pastor say a phrase, and then they say a phrase after him. The pastor says, Christ is risen, and the congregation says, he is risen indeed. Would you like to try that? All right, I'm the pastor, you're the congregation, I'll say Christ is risen, you say he is risen indeed. Here we go. Christ is risen. All right, now they do it three times, all right? So we're going to do it three times, and each time I'm going to get a little louder, and I want you to get a little louder, all right? And at the end, we'll really say it loud, all right? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Praise the Lord. That is wonderful. I want you to turn in your Bibles or on your device to the Old Testament book of Psalms, chapter 21, and uh, 121, 121, and while you're finding that in your Bible, let me just say that in the back, as you leave tonight, there is information about Columbia International University, where I have served as president and chancellor for almost 20 years. I just retired from those positions, but I'm still representing the school. Please find out more about CIU, which, of course, is the school that your pastor graduated from. Now, yeah, there we go. The uh, title for our message tonight, as you can see on the page that you've been given, is Reasoning from the Greater to the Lesser. And this is what I want to do with you tonight. We're going to look together first at two Bible passages. Two Bible passages. Is that coming up? Good. Then then we're going to look at one Bible principle. And finally, I'm going to tell you a story about the Eiffel Tower, which is located in Paris, France. So, if you meet somebody this week who couldn't be here tonight or at our Sunday services when I'll be giving this message again, 
and they say, what did the speaker talk about? You can say he talked about two Bible passages, one Bible principle, and the Eiffel Tower. And of course, they'll say, what was all that about? And then you can tell them the rest. Now, let's look at the first Bible passage, and that's found in Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. You'll see the words on the screen. Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's the first Bible passage, and it's in the Old Testament. The second Bible passage is in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Romans 8, verse 32, where we read these words. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So two Bible passages, Psalm 121, 1 and 2, and and Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Then one Bible principle. And the reason why we only have one Bible principle, even though we have two Bible passages, is because both Bible passages teach the same Bible principle principle. And here is the principle. We need to learn to reason from the greater to the lesser. We need to learn to reason from the greater to the lesser. To put this in legal terms, you and I need to learn how to argue or make our case from the greater to the lesser. That's what the writer of Psalm 121 is doing, and that is what the missionary apostle Paul is doing in Romans chapter 8. Both of them are reasoning from the greater to the lesser. So let's go back to Psalm 121, verse 1 and 2, because the writer of these verses is making his case from creation. From creation. And here's what he's saying. Psalm 121, let me just say it again. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. This is what the writer of those verses is saying. He's saying, I need help. Anybody here tonight need help? And when I need help, I look at the hills... And I remind myself that the one who made the hills made the entire universe. And if he can do that, he can do anything. Didn't we just sing that? He can certainly handle the lesser problem or challenge represented by my current need. So he's reasoning from the greater to the lesser, reminding himself that God is the creator. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. In Psalm 121, 
the writer's reasoning from creation, but in Romans 8.32, Paul is reasoning from redemption. Redemption. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So what is this verse saying? What's Paul saying here? He's saying, if God, in giving his son, can provide the huge redemptive solution for the accumulated sin of all the depraved people in the entire world, past, present, and future, if he can do that, he can do anything. And he's reasoning from the greater to the lesser. So what is the principle? Here it is. I'll give it to you again. When facing the challenges of life and ministry, take all those things to the Lord, reasoning from the greater to the lesser. Now let's look again at Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And the writer of these verses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is reminding himself that God is our creator. And he's telling us to keep that in mind whenever you and I have a special need. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to give you two examples of this one from uh, the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. I'm going to show you a verse in a minute, but before I show you this verse, I want to tell you what is the context of this verse I want to show you. You remember in the Old Testament that God formed the nation of Israel to be his people. He gave them the promised land. They were united there as the people of God. And he said, now I want you to worship me and I want you to obey me and I want you to follow me. And if you don't, you're going to have problems. In fact, if you don't, I will punish you. And we know that the people of Israel, after they entered the promised land, turned from the Lord, started to worship idols, started to worship themselves, and then when that happened, they started to fight with each other. That always, when you turn from the Lord, you're always going to start fighting with other people. And so they started fighting with each other, and they divided. Do you remember this? And ten tribes went up into the north, and two tribes went down in the south. And the ten tribes in the north were punished by God who brought the nation of Assyria into Israel, the northern tribes, and he conquered them and carried them away captive. And when the king of Assyria saw how easy it was to get the ten tribes to the north, he said, well, that's a piece of cake. Let's go down and get the two ones in the south. And so King Sennacherib of Assyria decides to go down and conquer the south, the capital city of which is Jerusalem. And the king of, of the southern tribes at that time was King Hezekiah. And King Hezekiah and all the people are in the city of Jerusalem. They've closed the gates. Nobody can get in. Nobody can get out. The Assyrian army has surrounded them. And Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, sends two of his generals to talk 
to the generals of King Hezekiah who were up on the wall in Jerusalem. And if you read the passage carefully, we don't have time to look at it tonight, but if you read it carefully, there's a lot of trash talk. Did you know there, were tr- there was trash talk in the Bible? You read it, there's a lot of trash talk there. They speak blasphemy about God, and they tell the people, you might as well just give up now because we're going to come in and we're going to conquer you. And then they send a letter to Hezekiah saying the same thing, and Hezekiah takes that awful letter, and he goes into the temple. And now look at these verses. Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it, that is the letter from Sennacherib, spread it before the Lord, and Hezekiah prayed. Now look at this. O Lord, the God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. Now look at what he says. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Now look at what he says right in the middle of that verse. He says, you have made heaven and earth. Now why did he say that right in the middle of his prayer? Was he, you know, trying to sound spiritual? Oh God, maker of heaven and earth, we come to you and pray. Is he trying to sound spiritual? No. What's he doing? He's reasoning from the greater to the lesser. He's saying, God, you created the, the universe. If you can do that, you can handle this. Now look at, look at what it says following that. It says, so now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. So Hezekiah is reasoning from the greater, the fact that God is our creator, to the lesser, the fact that they're surrounded and they need God's help. And do you remember what happened right after he prayed that prayer? That same night, the angel of the Lord came down and killed 185,000 of the Assyrian army, and they turned around and went back home. Interesting. Now, I want to give you another example. I'm going to show you a verse in a minute, but before I do, I want to tell you this story. Do you remember in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, in chapter 3, Peter and John are going up to the temple to pray, and as they go into the temple, there's a man sitting on the ground begging for money. He's lame. He has never walked. And Peter and John look at this man, and they say, we don't have any money, but what we have we will give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And the man stood up and was able to walk, and ran around and was jumping and leaping and dancing so much so that a huge crowd gathered because they all knew this guy and they couldn't believe what they were seeing. And Peter, seeing the crowd, says, great opportunity to preach. And so Peter gives this great gospel message and the authorities come and when they see what's happening, they take Peter and John and they throw them in prison. They keep them there all night. The next morning, they have a meeting with them and they say, don't you ever do that again. Don't you publicly talk about Jesus and his resurrection again or else it's going to be a lot worse for you. And then they let them go. And Peter and John go back to the believers and they meet in a home in Acts chapter 4. And now look at these verses in Acts chapter 4. 
And when they heard it, this is all the believers heard about the threats that the authorities gave to Peter and John. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, now look, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them? Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Now look what they said right in the middle of their prayer. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now why did they say that in the middle of their prayer? Were they just trying to sound, you know, spiritual and using flowery words, O creator of heaven and earth and the sea? Or were they deliberately thinking about the fact that God had created the universe, and if he could do that, he could certainly handle the problem they were facing with the threats of the authorities. And look what, look what the next verse says in Acts chapter 4. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Do you see what they're doing? They're reasoning from the greater to the lesser. Um, I'm going to show you another verse in a minute that you all know, but before I do, let me just tell you that it's been my privilege to meet Chuck Smith. Now, Chuck Smith is now with the Lord, but Chuck Smith is the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement, and there are many churches all across North America and around the world now that call themselves Calvary Chapel. And when Chuck Smith started his preaching and God started to bless him and churches started to form all across the country, he was a little bit controversial uh, because he talked about some things that some conservative Christians just weren't sure they were ready to accept. And I remember when the president of CIU, where I served as president, Dr. Robertson McQuilkin, when he was the president and I was there teaching, Uh, He invited Chuck Smith to come and speak for a whole week, and he kind of stuck his neck out because a lot of Christians weren't sure what they thought about Chuck Smith. But it was wonderful. Chuck Smith came, and he spoke all week, every day, to the student body on the all-sufficiency of Christ and the all-sufficiency of God. And, of course, Jesus is God. The all-sufficiency of Christ, of God. And I remember one day he came in, and when he started his message, he said, How many of you know the first verse in the Bible? And he put it up for us to see, and here's what it says. You'll see it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He said, let's all say that. In fact, let's do that right now. Everybody here right now, here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So then he said this. He said, how many of you believe that? Well, we all raised our hands. And then he said this. So why are you having problems with anything else? Why are you having problems with anything else? Now, we don't have time, but if we did tonight, I'm sure we could go up and down the rows, and some of you could tell some pretty big challenges that you're facing right now. And you're wondering, how in the world is this ever going to get solved? How are we going to handle this? Do you believe Genesis 1-1? If you do, why are you having problems with anything else? Look at Psalm 124, verse 8. You'll see it on the screen. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. 
All right, I want everybody to say that out loud with me right now. Here we go. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, we're going to do it again, but this time, the phrase, who made heaven and earth, we're going to say that phrase twice as loud as we say the first part. You got me? All right, here we go. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? We need to reason from the greater to the lesser. Now let's look at the second Bible passage quickly. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not also with him graciously give us all things? What is the writer of Romans 8, 32 talking about? He's reasoning from the fact that God is our redeemer. And he's saying, if God can provide all that's necessary for the redemption of the entire world, he can certainly do anything else. Look at the verse again. We'll put it on the screen. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's reasoning from the greater to the lesser. He's saying, if God can provide the salvation for the sins of the whole world, he can care for any lesser problem that I may be facing right now. I wish you could meet Marvin Schuster. Marvin Schuster and I served on the board of trustees of Columbia International University for many years together, and eventually we made Marvin the chairman of the board. Now, Marvin uh, was a very and is a very successful businessman, and I remember the first time he chaired a board meeting. He'd always been, you know, on the side of the table, but now he was at the head of the table, and he's chairing the meeting, And when he started the board meeting, we had lots of business to cover, he gave his personal testimony about how he came to faith in Christ. And he told us how he was a very wealthy uh, man who was very religious and went to church and gave money to the local hospital, but all of that was because he was proud of himself, and he thought of himself as being self-sufficient, and suddenly he realized how sinful he really was, and God came down and just revolutionized his life, and he told us this story, and I'd heard little, little bits and pieces, but I never heard the whole story, and I thought, well, that's really wonderful. I'm so glad he did that, and then we went into the board meeting. Well, four months later, we had another board meeting, And when he started the board meeting, he told us his testimony again. I thought, "Uh uh-oh, Marvin must be getting uh, forgetful. He did this at the last meeting. Uh, But, you know, okay, it was okay. Four months later, we had a third board meeting. He led it again. And again, he started with his testimony. I thought, oh, Marvin's really losing it now. And then suddenly it hit me. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was reasoning from the greater to the lesser. He was saying, gentlemen and ladies sitting around this table, we've got some big challenges, big decisions to make, big discussions to have. I want you to know that if God could reach down and redeem this rotten sinner and change me, he can do anything and he can handle anything we have at this board meeting today. And that's what he was doing. And that's what the psalmist is doing, David, in Psalm chapter 56, verse 13. Look at this verse. And I've I've taken it from the King James Version of the Bible because it's given in the form of a statement and then the form of a question. The statement is, for thou hast delivered my soul from death. That's redemption. Then he says this, 
Wilt thou not deliver my feet from falling that I may walk before God in the light of the living? What is David doing here when he writes these words? He's reasoning from the greater to the lesser. He's saying, if you save me, if you redeem me, I believe you can keep me and provide for me and enable me to walk with you day after day. He's reasoning from the greater to the lesser. Now, just to show you this a little bit more, I want to tell you about a very unusual rule that we have at Columbia International University where your pastor attended. We have a Sabbath-keeping rule. We have a Sunday rule that says none of our students can study on Sunday. Not allowed to do any academic work on Sunday. None. Uh, to be honest with you, when, when, I mean, it's in the literature that students read before they come, although a lot of students don't read everything. And even if students have read it in the literature, when they get to school and they hear the rule again and they realize that, you know, Monday there's going to be an exam and Sunday they can't study for it or they can't write a paper on Sunday or they can't read a book on Sunday that's for an academic requirement, they get kind of upset. And it's kind of like, what? What am I going to do on Sunday? And we say, well, you could rest. You could, like, take a nap. You know, yeah, go to church, worship with God's people, but then uh, take a nap or take a walk in the woods. In fact, here's a question. Here's the question. You'll see it on the screen. Why are God's people commanded to observe the Sabbath? And we are. We are. Why are we commanded to? It's the fourth of the Ten Commandments. Why are we commanded to observe the Sabbath? And the answer is to deliberately remember God's work of creation and God's work of redemption. Now, if you know your Old Testament, you know that the Ten Commandments appear two different times. Once in the book of Exodus and another time in the book of Deuteronomy. Look at, look at what Exodus says about the Sabbath. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, because God did that, he blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, look at the same command in the Ten Commandments given in Deuteronomy chapter 5 about the Sabbath. Look what it says. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. That's redemption. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. So in Exodus, we're to keep the Sabbath because God is our creator. In Deuteronomy, we're to keep the Sabbath because God is our redeemer. And what I tell our students, and I'm telling you tonight here and in the campuses that are looking at this video, I'm telling you, why don't you try it? Why don't you try to put your work aside, to put your requirements aside, to truly rest and as you do, take time to deliberately think about the fact that the Lord, the God of your salvation is your creator and he's your redeemer. And if he is, and if he can do that, he can do anything. Now, I want to give you one more example of this uh, before we get to the story. And the example is in the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, and it's what I call Jeremiah and the questionable or foolish real estate purchase. 
Now remember I told you that the ten tribes up in the north of Israel were carried away by the Assyrians and then the Assyrians tried to capture the ones in the south and they couldn't do it. Well, later on, the Babylonian Empire came and tried to capture the south and Jeremiah was a prophet among the people of God, among the Jewish people and he went to the king, King Zedekiah and said, Zedekiah, the Lord has told me to tell you that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, is going to conquer you, and he is going to carry all the people away captive. Well, Zedekiah did not want to hear that at all. And he said, shut up, Jeremiah. Don't tell anybody this. Jeremiah kept preaching, and so much so that he was put into jail by King Zedekiah. And while he's in jail, his cousin named Hanamel comes to him and offers him to buy a piece of his real estate in the land of southern Israel. Now remember, Jeremiah knows the Babylonians are going to conquer the land, and no no land that any Jew owns is going to be his anymore. It's going to be stolen by the Babylonians. But before that happens, before the Babylonians come in, even though Jeremiah knows they are coming in, Hanamel, his cousin, says, I want you to buy a piece of land. And the Lord says to Jeremiah, I want you to buy that land. I don't know about you. Well, let's, let's see. That would be like telling a California businessman to buy a skyscraper on the San Andreas Fault right after a major earthquake is predicted. Or it would be like telling a Kansas farmer to buy a 2,000-acre farm right after a major drought is predicted. Or it would be like telling a real estate developer in the Florida Keys to buy a 20-unit rental property right after the U.S. Weather Service predicts a hurricane much bigger than Hurricane Irma. Are you following me? All right, so Jeremiah puts good money towards bad land. It's bad land. It's a very foolish, humanly speaking, real estate project. And he goes ahead and he buys the land. They sign the deed. You can read all about this in Jeremiah chapter 32. And here, look at this verse now. After I had given the deed of purchase to Barak, that was Jeremiah's assistant, he said, after I purchased the land, gave my assistant the, 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 the deed of purchase, I prayed to the Lord saying, ah, Lord God. Now look what he says. It is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Now he goes on. Look at this. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel and mighty indeed. Now look what he says. You brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. You, O Lord God, have said to me, buy the field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. Now look at the next verse. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, I will bring the people back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety and they shall be my people and I will be their God. Jeremiah bought that piece of property in great faith that God was going to bring the people of Israel back. He knew, in fact, how many years it was going to be, 70 years. He was going to bring them back from their captivity. And so in great faith, he spent good money for bad land, knowing the Lord was going to give that land back to the children of Israel. Now you say, so what's the, what's the application for me? Well, I'll give you one application. 
I don't want to show a hands, but I'd like to know how many families here tonight and in our branch campuses have a child who's an adult who's not walking with the Lord. And if I asked for a show of hands and I was sitting where you would sit, I would put my hand up. I don't know about you, but if the devil wants to get to me, he starts messing with my kids. And we have a daughter. And she ran from the Lord. Graduated from CIU. Ran from the Lord. And for 25 years, we have prayed for that girl. And just recently, she came back. 25 years. In this case, in Jeremiah, it was 70. So if you've got a wayward child, you need to, with great faith, go to the Lord, remind him that he's the maker, remind him that he's the redeemer, and trust him that he's going to bring that child back to him. Would you do that? All right, so let's review real quick. Two Bible passages Psalm 121, verse 1 and 2, and Romans 8, 32. One Bible principle, we need to learn to reason from the greater to the lesser. The Lord is our creator. The Lord is our redeemer. If he can do that, he can handle any lesser problem or challenge that we have. And now what you've all been waiting for, the Eiffel Tower. The Eiffel Tower. In 1983, my wife and I and our four children were living in the country of Italy. We were serving there as missionaries. We planned to spend our whole life there. But then the board of directors of our missionary organization contacted me and said, we're looking for a new director. The current director is retiring. We think you're the guy. Will you come back and be the director? That was a very hard decision for us to make, and I won't go into it except to say that we went back to our home sending church, just like you're the sending church for the 1016 team, and we asked them what they thought. We all prayed together about it, and finally we made the decision, yes, that we would come back. And so we were getting ready to leave Italy and come back to North America, leading 300 missionaries in 14 different countries. And my wife came to me and said, sweetheart, And by the way, she's speaking to the women tonight down at the women's retreat. She said, sweetheart, you know, we've been living for 13 years in Italy, and our kids have never seen the rest of Europe. And I think it would be a cry and shame if we go back to America now. Who knows if they'll ever get back over here. Do you think we could take our last vacation and go see some of the rest of Europe before we actually move back to the States? And I said, well, sure. So we got maps, and, you know, and we made plans, and we knew lots of missionaries, free housing, in a lot of different places, and, and so we got in, a, now there were six of us, four kids, mom and dad, in a small European car, and we went up through the corner of Austria, through the corner of Switzerland, up through Germany, to Belgium, to Holland, we took the ferry across to England, we drove up into Scotland, we took the ferry across to Belfast, Northern Ireland, we drove down into the Republic of Ireland to Dublin, we took the ferry back across to Wales, we drove back through Great Britain, and then we took the ferry across to France, and our last stop on that trip, and it was almost a month, we went to Paris, France, and we stayed with missionary friends there, and 
And they said, well, what do you want to see? And we said, well, we don't know. You live here. Why don't you tell us? They said, have you been to the Eiffel Tower? And we said, no. And they said, you've got to go to the Eiffel Tower. Now, let me have a show of hands here tonight. How many people here tonight have seen the Eiffel Tower? Come on, put your hands up. Look around. All right, so they can verify what I'm going to tell you here in a minute. All right, so we go to the Eiffel Tower. And when we get to the bottom of it, my wife says, you can go up if you want. I'm staying down here. And I'm going to stay down here with the baby. You take the three older kids. So I took Heather Laura and Frank, and we stood in line for the elevator. And a long line, we waited and waited, finally got in the elevator, big commercial elevator, you know, 20, 30 people. We go up, 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 boom, it stopped, and we're like, all right, we get out. We're only a third of the way up. You have to stand in another line. It's in a circle, going around, waiting, waiting. Finally got in the second elevator, up, 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 boom. All right, we're there. No, only two-thirds of the way up. So you got to get a third elevator to get to the top. So finally we got to the top, and when we got to the top, It was a beautiful, cloudless day. The sun was shining brightly. You could look over the sprawling mass, 20 million people in Paris, France. It was just awesome. Everybody had their cameras out and their camcorders, and they're taking pictures and everything. And while we're standing there looking around, I see this ladder in the middle of the top observation deck of the Eiffel Tower going up through an opening in the roof. And I knew it was the roof because through the opening, you could see the sky. And I looked at the ladder, and there was no sign. So I said, Heather, grab my hand. Laura, grab Heather's hand. Frankie, grab Laura's hand. Follow me. We went up the ladder, through the opening, and found ourselves standing on the roof of the top observation deck of the Eiffel Tower. Nobody else was up there. I don't think we should have been there either. There was a little flimsy fence around the edge. We didn't go anywhere near it. We just stood in the middle, holding hands very tightly beneath the open sky. And as we stood there, we could feel the tower moving. And I looked down at seven-year-old Frankie our son, and his eyes were as big as saucers. He was standing there, and I could see him just saying to himself, this is awesome. I feel so powerful. I am standing at the top of the tallest man. In fact, let me tell you about the Eiffel Tower, all right? It was built in 1889 as entrance to the World's Fair. It's called La Dame de Fer, which means the Iron Lady, And for the next 41 years, it was the tallest man-made structure in the entire world until 1930 when the Chrysler Building was built in New York City. It's 1,063 feet tall, which depends on how you measure stories. That's 81 to 116 stories high. All right, I mean, it's really something. And, 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 And I looked at Frankie, and Frankie's standing there like, whoa, this is amazing. And I wish I had taken a picture of his face. You know what I'm saying? Now, and, 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 the, and the tower's moving. And by the way, I've told this story more than once. And you know, storytellers, the story sort of tends to grow, you know. 
And so I Googled this before I share this with you tonight just to find out for sure. Look at what Google says. This is today's Google on the Eiffel Tower. Depending on the strength of the wind, the Eiffel Tower sways 18 to 21 feet from side to side on a daily basis. Well, anyway, we went back down the ladder. Nobody ever yelled at us. I don't think we should have been up there. We got down the elevator. We finished our trip in Paris. We drove to Italy. And it was two weeks later. And we were having family devotions at our home, the Murray home. And we were reading through the book of Romans. And we were reading Romans chapter 10 that night. And I knew that that chapter had those haunting missionary questions of the missionary apostle Paul. How shall they call upon him in whom they have never heard? And how shall they hear unless someone goes to them? And how can they go unless others send them? And so we read those verses and I explained to our kids that there were billions of people in the world still that were waiting to hear about Jesus for the first time. And one of the places where a lot of those people live is China. Now this is 1983 and in 1983, China was just beginning to open up again to the gospel and people were going in with Bibles and stuff like that. It was still dangerous and And so I told the kids about China and about the need to take Jesus to people who've never heard of him. And and then I stopped. We're at the supper table and we're having our our family devotions. And I looked at Laura. She was nine. And I said, Laura, if God wants you, um, calls you to go to China as a missionary, would you go? And she said, "Um, Daddy, I would if, if, if God wants me to. And right then, Frankie reached out his chubby little hand, put it on his sister's arm, and this is what he said. Laura, if God wants you to go to China as a missionary, don't you ever forget that Jesus will go with you. And Jesus is bigger than the Eiffel Tower. (laughs) What was that little boy doing? He was reasoning from the greater to the lesser. If Jesus is that big... He can certainly handle anything you'll face in China. I don't know about you, but the longer I live, the more homesick I get for heaven. Anybody else here like that tonight? And when we get to heaven, we're going to praise the Lord. And what are we going to praise him for? Look at this, Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. We're going to stand with all the redeemed people from the entire world, past, present, future, and we're going to say this, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. We're going to praise the Lord because he's our creator. But we're also going to praise the Lord for something else. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So we're going to praise the Lord when we stand in his presence for eternity for being our creator and for being our redeemer. Anybody want to give me an amen? Isn't that wonderful? Amen. All right, now the praise team's coming up right now. They're going to come up right now, and they're going to lead us in a song that's going to help us cement in our minds what we've just heard from God's word tonight, to reason from the greater to the lesser. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.